Good morning. <laughs> My name is Jennifer Spate. Um, I'm a junior English and secondary education major from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, please join me this morning in prayer as we open. Heavenly Father, we just ask that your blessing will be on this chapel. Um, Lord, we pray that you will give our speaker wisdom, Lord, um, and let her words be words that are directly from you. I pray a special blessing on all the students today, Lord, and I ask that you will help us to get through um, the rest of this, like, this rest of this Friday, um, exams and everything else. I just ask for your presence here this morning. We invite you. In Christ's name, amen. I am pleased to have the honor of introducing to you this morning our speaker. Ms. Alexa Torres Fleming is the founder and executive director of Youth Ministries for Peace and Justice. Torres Fleming began this organization as a result of watching the 1960s and 70s fires that led to the devastation of the South Bronx during her childhood. Founded in 1994, Youth Ministries for Peace and Justice serves the neighborhoods of Bronx River and Southview, both of which are, are located in the South Bronx. Her organization prepares young people to become prophetic voices for peace and justice issues and advocates for social change through political education, spiritual formation, and youth and community development and organization. Youth Ministries for Peace and Justice works to support the development of young minds and spirits, recognizing that young people have an essential stake in the community. She has been featured in Sojourners Magazine and has received the Jane Jacobs Medal for New Ideas and Activism in 2008. She has been involved on campus over the past few days at Wednesday's Celebrate Service Day Chapel, Campus Worship Night, and guest speaking in several classes here at GC. We thank her for her involvement here and look forward to hearing her this morning. Okay, we're gonna uh, lead some songs in Spanish. Uh, these are very traditional rhythms from Ecuador and the, the Andes, the Andes Mountains. Um, my name is Daniel Moya, and this is Ross Weaver over here. Mauricio Chavez. Uh, Dennis Chavez. And Juan Moya. Daniel uh, the, the, These are Ecuadorian, and we are Colombian and American. Over here. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to begin with a very familiar song to, to all of you, which is We're Walking in the Light of God. We can sing it in Spanish first, and then we can switch to English. Okay? Caminemos a la luz de Dios Caminemos a la luz de Dios Caminemos a la luz Caminemos 
As you can uh, in Spanish. The, I think the trans. Do you have the translation somewhere? <coughs> All right. It, okay. The, the translation doesn't really fit the song, so don't sing in English. But think about it. En tus manos, señor. En tus manos. Siempre estamos, Señor, siempre estamos. En tus manos, Señor, en tus manos. Siempre estamos, Señor, siempre
Buenos días, mi pueblo. Que viva siempre el idioma latina y la cultura latina y que sea sagrado en este, este lugar, como siempre. I said, long live Latin culture, Latin music, and may in this place it be honored and revered um, and beautiful. So thank you so, so much, hermanos, for that beautiful, that beautiful music. Uh, made me feel like I was at home. Y sí que estamos en las manos del Señor hoy, right? We are truly here in God's hands, and with God we begin. Good and gracious God, I thank you for this place. I thank you that today I look out and I don't see strangers, I see friends, I see names, people that I know. I thank you for the privilege of coming from my little corner of the world, from which you have called and chosen me um, to speak to this beautiful and honored group of people. I ask that your words would be with me, that your spirit would be with me, that your grace would be with me. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys already started me crying. I haven't started yet. And I didn't bring my clock, so somebody give me a holler when I talk too much. Amen. Um, so where we last left each other, uh, I was in a place, if you remember, when I was faced with the question, what do you do when you are faced with the gift? <laughs> with the chance to realize what you've been praying for. You know the saying, be careful what you pray for, or be careful what you pray for, you just might get it, right? How many of us are praying, Lord, show me the way. Show me how to serve you, Lord. Take me, use me. Well, the next question in my life was, what do I do when God actually gives me an answer to that prayer? Uh, we all want to say, we all want to serve, right? We all sing, use me, Lord, use me. Uh, Lord, I'm ready to be a sanctuary, right? We all sing those songs. We're really good at being fans of Jesus. In this place today, we like clapping. I used to love it, a youth group, you know, go Jesus, go Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I was a great fan, but in that moment when, you, when God gives you what you ask for, his question is, do you want to be a fan? Or do you want to be a follower? There's a big distinction. And sometimes in the life of campus and in the life of church, it's easy to blur those distinctions. But this day we want to talk about what does it mean to be a follower? I remember during that season in my life where God was posing that question to me, um, coming across the story of the rich young man in scripture. And it says that he was a, a young man, and you know, you don't know, but you have a sense that he comes from a lot. And he also had that question. He wanted to go from being a fan. He'd heard all about Jesus. He went and found him where he was speaking. And he wanted to be a follower. And he said, Lord, what do I have to do to follow you? Um, and Jesus said to him, give up everything you have and follow me. And the story doesn't exactly say what the rich young man did. It says that he put down his head and walked away because he had so much, right? We have so much. And it may not be about material goods. It may be about security. 
It may be about comfort, right? It may be about um, the people that we love. It may be about feeling safe in our ideas and what we know within the context of our own cultures, within the context of our own communities. But if you ask Jesus, what do I have to do to follow you? He's going to say, give up everything you have. Give it all and come and follow me. And as we put our heads down and we contemplate all that we have, God walks with us and asks us, are you a fan or are you a follower? Right, Jeff? Um, in that time in my life, lots of things began to happen. And I remember a place where I prayed often the Psalms. I love the Psalms. And there was one in particular, Psalm 40, that really spoke to my heart, you know? It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and finally he inclined, he bent down and heard my cry. He lifted me from the slimy pit that I was in, the muck and the mire, so that I could sing a new song. And a little bit later in the verse it says, Finally, my ears you have pierced. I have come. I desire to do your will. It is written about me in your scroll. And I thought, Lord, that's me. Finally, my ears you have pierced. You help me to see. You help me to understand all of the things that I had prayed for. All of the things about becoming who I am and, and becoming the person that you wanted me to be. And my ears, finally, you have pierced. Lord, I desire to do your will. Show me how. Show me how. And what did I know about how? As I said, I moved back to the South Bronx. I got a little apartment and lived off of savings and unemployment for about a year. And in that time, I had to build what I felt God was putting in my heart. You know, and I think about those in scripture that were given the plans and the blueprints for the temple, piece by piece, revealed as it would come. And I thought, Lord, how do I do this? I am not qualified to run a youth center. I am not qualified to do a ministry. I don't have the support of my church. Within the Catholic Church, there is no model for a lay ministry in this way. And someone said to me, Alexi, God doesn't always call the qualified. <laughs> Isn't that true? Think of Peter. When Jesus said to him, Peter, you are Cephas, you are rock, and on you I'm going to build my church. Peter probably said, Lord, I am so not qualified. But that person said to me, but God, Alexi, always qualifies the, poll, the called. And so I have that to this day, 15 years later, because every day, every day, even today, before I came here, I don't feel qualified. But I trust that God qualifies the called. And in trusting that, in trusting that God would give me the wisdom, the vision of youth ministries for peace and justice, the ministry that came out of the, the, the rallies and the drug rallies and that struggle in my life was born. And, you know, as God would have it, pieces, little pieces began to fall into place. And as I began to trust him, as I began to trust him, I always say, I began to walk in the realm of the miraculous. Because things just began to happen. 
Now, I don't know if y'all believe in miracles, you know, but the manifestation of God was so pure because there was nothing that I had to stand on. We had no money. We had no qualifications. We didn't even have a space. We didn't have a space. We had an idea. We had a dream, but we didn't even have a space. And one day I was walking around the community saying, Lord, what on earth have I done? And suddenly I stood before my church, and there in front of the church was a man. I don't know if he was homeless. I don't know. He, he clearly was suffering. And he was in the gutter, kneeling down and praying. And I thought, why is this man praying here? But when I looked at the church, the new black wrought iron gates that had been purchased to secure the church were in place with a big padlock. And behind that were the big black, I mean the big red oak doors <laughs> um, with a padlock. And behind that was another padlock door before you could even get into the sanctuary. And I thought, Lord, where have we come? that your people have to pray in the gutter, that they cannot enter into the Holy of Holies, the very place where when Jesus died, the curtain in the tabernacle was torn in two so that we would always have access. But in my place in the South Bronx, it was a dangerous place to be alone. And so the church was padlocked. And in that moment, God said to me, this is where you're going to be. And I thought, here? It's padlocked. It's only open on Sundays for a few hours for the services. He said, go to the priest. I went to the priest. Father Kehan was his name, a wonderful old priest. And I said, this is what God has put in my heart. Please, can we use the basement of the church? And he gave me a whole long list of all the reasons why it couldn't happen. Liability insurance. We just don't have that, Alexi. Somebody could get hurt. And what if the kids start a fight? And what if they bring a gun in? And on with all of the what-ifs. And he was well-intentioned and probably very right with all of his concerns. And he sent me away with my head down, saying, that's a nice vision, but just ain't going to happen here. Well, walking in the realm of the miraculous, I said, Lord, show me the way. Two weeks later, Father Kehan was transferred to another parish. And Father Bader came along. And I thought, Lord, do I have to go back? said, yeah, go back and talk to Father Bader. And so I went and talked to Father Bader, sure that he would tell me no. So this time I went sobbing in supplication. And he looked at me and thought, what on earth is wrong with you, girl? Of course you can use the basement. Sure. He gave me the keys. And in there we went. Well, we say our first thousand members were the roaches and the mice. Because that basement had not been used in a long, long time. We we sat under asbestos pipes and on asbestos tiles in a bare room that the church had not used, and, and God began to breathe a vision into us. And it wasn't anything fancy, but it was beautiful because it was about community. Remember my dad, the powerless one, and Doña Juana and Doña Virginia, you know, the ones from the community, they were the ones that would come. We had no heat because the pastor said, y'all can use the space, but we can't afford the oil. We had no heat in a basement, a cinder block basement. So Doña Virginia would come and make a soup every single day, hot soup every day. And we would wear our gloves, and we didn't have furniture, and we needed walls. So it just so happened that the, um, 
the, the public housing projects where Daddy worked, they have just gotten a delivery of new refrigerators. And Daddy and the men went to his friends and said, my daughter's doing this. And, and they were like, well, and they took those boxes from the refrigerator and they framed them with little pieces of wood and put um, hinges on them. And we painted them and those were our first walls. Um, and they were phenomenal and beautiful. And from that very humble and simple space, right? So if y'all think that God is going to call you to a ready-made ministry with a nice shiny office and a big paycheck, did I, feel, did I mention that we didn't get paid for a long time? Um, you know, maybe we need to rethink, you know, we need to rethink what it is. But what is beautiful about that is I could never rely on anything else but on what I knew God would provide for us. And I prayed, oh, Lord, let the vision come. Let the vision come. You know, show me what to do. Show me the way. Let the young people come. And so they began to, to come because it was a curious thing, right? These people hanging out in the basement of the church that was never open before. Um, and the music that would come out of there and the conversation and the busyness. And so the young people began to come. And we began to say, what is it that we want to be? You know, and we said, the words came to us, we want to be prophetic voices for peace and for justice in our community. We want to be able to speak truth to power. We want to be unafraid to claim the power that is given to us in Jesus, in our dignity, to become the people that God wants us to be. We didn't want to do you, we wanted to work with young people, but we didn't want to work on a deficit-based model like I talked about before, right? We didn't want to say, well, come because you're at risk and we're going to, come, we're going to fix you here. Um, we wanted it to be a ministry where we built the body, the mind, the spirit, and the community. Sometimes when we want to do ministry, we don't consider the whole person, the whole body. And so what we realized is that we had to reimagine everything, everything. So we began to say, well, how do we reimagine school? How do we reimagine education? How do we make education a place that is not just about rote repetition and about 40 kids, 40 children in a classroom with one teacher in our local public schools, where 70% of them do not graduate from high school and 85% cannot read on grade level? I've had children in high school who cannot read as well as my eight-year-old son, okay? How can we reimagine learning? How can we reimagine education? How can it be? And so we named our Center for Education, Education for Liberation. And in it, we would have freedom forums. And in it, we practiced a type of learning, a pedagogy that was not about, and you all may have heard about Paulo Freire, and I won't get into that, but we practiced a form of education that said, no, you are not, we're not here because you're ignorant and stupid, and so we're going to deposit all of our wisdom upon you, right? We believe that in you lives the wisdom of God and the wisdom of your culture and the wisdom of your experiences. And so from this place, we're going to learn from each other. And from that, we were able to do, you know, um, we learned math and we learned science by playing dominoes. Who knows what dominoes are? Yeah, hello. We played dominoes and we learned math and science and we cooked together and we made sofrito and we measured, you know, and, um, and young people organized themselves into a group called Dangerous Minds. <laughs> 
dangerous minds. And they began to really look at how, what schools were doing to them and what the education system was doing to them and how they could take ownership, not drop out, not give up, but take power and ownership over their own education. We began to hold driveway reels. We didn't have a place, right? So don't, don't fret if you don't have a place. We had a driveway, so we put up a screen and we got a little projector and we played movies in the, in the driveway and movies about school and movies about that where we could discuss and we could do education in a new way. That became education from learning. And then we, th we thought, well, how do we, how do we recreate art, right? We are creative people. The first act that God, that we read about in the very scripture is a creative act, right? So how do we recreate art? My young people experience art as, in school they get taken to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and they're taught what high art is. And when they get to the art of their people, it's called primitive art, right? Come on, y'all, you know it's true. And so, and they don't see in their, in their, in their classrooms, in their communities, um, art that is a reflection of who they are and their beauty. And oftentimes they're exposed to art in music that is misogynistic, that is full of hate and that is full of violence. So they experience art that tears people down and does not lift them up. And we said, do you know, do you know that in some place in Latin America, if you put a piece of art on a wall that said something about what you believed was right, you could be shot and killed for that. What a privilege we have in this country to do art. And so we, re, we reimagined what art could look like, and we called it Arts for Activism. And we, we I, I am no artist, and we didn't have you know, any particular skills in that area, but we pulled together people, and we made murals. And we said, you know, my papi doesn't speak that much English, and Doña Juana doesn't speak that much English, but art is a language that we can all understand. And so we began to tell the stories of our struggles and our people and our culture and our beliefs in our art. We would do theater, and when we studied the Israeli-Palestinian wall, we danced to express what that meant and what that looked like. And when we studied issues like what was, you know, um, Soweto and, um, and the, the Soweto student uprisings and youth movements around the world, we began to do art to them. We began to write poetry about them. We made CDs, we made comic books, any way the young people could express themselves. And it was powerful. One of the most beautiful murals we have is a mural where we brought together young people from all faith traditions. So we had Muslim young people and Hindu young people and Catholic and Protestant, Native American, Jewish, and they came together and we said, you know what, there's so much that divides us. But let's sit together and look at our sacred texts. And let's go together to each other's houses of worship. And they did. And as they did, they drew and they reflected. And they came up with a beautiful mural that's called, We Are Here to Awaken from the Illusion of Our Separateness. It's a quote by a Vietnamese Buddhist priest named Thich Nhat Hanh. And on it, there are images of all of the darkness that they live in. And there are images of this um, faceless doll, Native American doll, falling from a helicopter into waters uh, because they had learned from their Jewish brothers and sisters the story of Argentinians being taken and kidnapped and at nighttime being uh, killed by being thrown into the river off of helicopters, blindfolded and beaten. And so they saw those images and under a beautiful sunrise, they showed all of their spiritual figures. And there was the Dalai Lama and there was um, 
Rabbi Marshall Meyer, and there was Dorothy Day, and Oscar Romero, and Martin Luther King, and Malcolm X, and all of these beautiful figures that they had studied in school as political figures, they began to understand, no, these people were motivated first because they understood God to be calling them towards something. And there were hands on the mural, and there, was a, uh, there were hands like this that express that we give by providing justice. And, that, and then there was a hand um, like this, stopping, which shows that they led by, um, and by providing charity, by stopping injustice. And then there was a hand, there's a hand like this that shows that we also serve God in prayer and we wait for the wisdom of God in prayer. And it's a beautiful, beautiful mural. If you all want a copy, you can go on our website and, and get a card. But um, it's an expression. And in that, whether my daddy speaks English or not, we could understand the vision of who we were and what we wanted to be. And that, that is recreating ministry and art. And these are not programs. These are not, this is ministry. This is worship. Coming together with these children was worship. So when you go on your mission trips and you go on your service days, remember that yesterday or Wednesday, your worship didn't end in this place. <laughs> but as you went and you served, you continued to worship. We recreated what it was to be well. So that was the other challenge. How do we recreate wellness? How do we recreate health? Oh my Lord. Um, and so all sorts of amazing things happened as a result of that. We said it's, it's too bad that, on, that, poor pe that only people who have privilege can go and have a massage, can get acupuncture, can have access to um, holistic health. We need to provide it for free. And so we got trained and junior barefoot doctors, young people would go out into the community and teach how, to, how we can take care of ourselves. And Doña Juana and Doña Dora and Doña Virginia helped us plant our rooftop green roof garden with medicinal herbs so that we could reclaim who we were about being well. And we created church and community. I have very little time, so I want to tell you, um, I'm trying to figure out what to cut out. Um, I want to tell you about how we tried to recreate community. I shared a little bit about um, going out and saying, we can't stay here in church, you know? Part of church is you got to get out of church. And so we walked around our community and discovered the Bronx River. Did I tell you I grew up in the Bronx River Projects on Bronx River Avenue in the Bronx River neighborhood, and I never knew there was a Bronx River in my backyard because it was totally industrialized. And talk about feeling unqualified. To take on 10,000 tires dumped into that river, 48 cars, and systems bigger than I had ever imagined. One of them we had to take on was our $9 billion energy company that had a manufactured gas plant buried underneath one of our parks that said, don't worry, it won't hurt you. You know, we'll put a foot of clean soil over it and it'll be okay. And kids like mine and my nephew and people like my mom and my dad had to stand up against that giant, unqualified as we felt, um, and take on this $9 billion company. And today, we have a fully cleaned up park and a million dollars in restitution to our community uh, for the damage that was done there. It has an, it's going to have an ecological center. Um, and so these are the things, I wish I could tell you more. If, I, if you invite me back, I'll tell you all so much more about the environmental work that we've done. But I want to give you an example of what unqualified, powerless people can do. And, and imagine the pyramid, right? What we're taught is that the person on the top that has so much power has more power than all of the people down here combined. And what we say is no. 
when all of the people down here combined understand the power that they have, people power, then we can topple the pyramid and we can have justice. And, and so what are the lessons that I've learned? And I'm going to wrap up with this. The Our Father. I cannot pray it. I cannot pray it. If I don't really mean thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You want to understand the fundamental of what it is to have justice? It is to truly hear, say, believe, and act. That it should be on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is not going to fall out of the sky and make everything better, okay, people? It's here. It's in you. I learned that I cannot save and fix people, okay? That I have to partner with people. Uh, a wonderful Chinese proverb that I love, it says, go to the people, live with them, love them, learn from them. But of the best of leaders, the people will say, we have done it ourselves. When you go off to do your service, where you go off to do whatever it is that God so beautifully is planting uniquely inside of you from this space. Remember that there is only one Savior. And that perhaps, perhaps, when you go to save the poor, the poor just might save you. I learned that Chase Church was the place to do this. It wasn't a place to have the after school, you know, the, the little, the thing on the side, the social program on the side. Church was the center of where this should happen. It's all here. It's all here. About challenging systems and structures, it's all here. Mar Dr. Martin Luther King said, I have this also written on my wall, it says, if the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, guess what? We're going to become no more than an irrelevant social club without any spiritual or moral authority. The Mennonite church, the Catholic church, the, the uh, Pentecostal church, we cannot afford to be that. He said, if the church does not participate actively in the struggle for peace and social and racial and economic justice, we will cause people to say that we have atrophied our will, that we as a church have not become who we are supposed to be. I've learned the distinction between charity and justice. We like charity. It's really safe. It makes us comfortable. It makes us feel good. But we don't, we're not always comfortable reaching down and getting to root causes. I learned about the mystery and how it's so important to stay in the mystery. That for all I want to politicize it, and for all I want to read about Jesus as a wonderful political figure, Jesus is God. And that mystery has to stay with me. There are things that I will never understand. Aisha Santiago, I woke up this morning, went to my emails, and Aisha Santiago, you will never know. She lives in my neighborhood. She's a 25-year-old mother. And this morning, I woke up to it, um, an email with a press release. Two days ago, Aisha was walking with her little boy. She's a single mom, nine years old. She had her little boy when she was about 16 years old. She was walking with him from school, and there were three men arguing. And the argument escalated, and one of them pulled out a gun and shot. And Aisha tried to protect her little boy and took a bullet in her back and was killed. That happened two days ago in my neighborhood. And it happened this minute somewhere else. 
and this second somewhere else, and somewhere else, and somewhere else. There are parts of the mystery that we will never understand. But God is calling us to the dark places. Finally, what I learned is I am the one that we, I've been waiting for. We like to make superheroes of our people, right? We like to think that someone is gonna come and fix us. And we want God to be our superhero. My mommy is, um, has her GED, and she's a church lady. And one time she told me she had this dream, and I'm gonna end with this. She said that she was in church, and people, she was praying, and it was around the millennium, so everyone, you know, remember the millennium? Everybody thought that God was gonna come and everything was going to be over and God was going to come and fix things. And so she said she was in church and she was praying and she heard a throng of people outside saying, Lord, when are you coming? Lord, when are you coming? And she said God didn't answer. And she said the people continued to cry out, Lord, when are you coming? Lord, when are you coming? On and on and on. And I said, Mommy, what did God say? And she said, when are you coming? We are the miracle that we've been waiting for. Our hearts, our hands, our feet, our minds, the education that you're getting in this sacred place is the miracle that you waited for. And so God says to you, people of Goshen, when are you coming? When are you coming? I pray that that stays with you because you are the generation that will make the church into who we are supposed to be and serve God's people I thank you from my little corner of the South Bronx in the projects, where as a little girl, I would have never imagined um, that God would bring me to such a place to meet such beautiful people. So I thank you, and I pray that together we'll come. Amen. To end this morning, uh, we want to end with um, with a song that uh, that I wrote uh, some time ago. So. Estoy cansado de vernos llorar. Estoy cansado de tu llanto ignorar. Estoy cansado de vernos con hambre, con sed y con deuda. Estoy cansado de solo esperar Y nuestros llantos solitos están Estoy cansado de oír en la radio Que hay gente con todo y nosotros sin paz Por eso canto y le pido a Diosito Tierra
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this service, Lord, for the music that you, um, for the gifts that you've given us, Lord, God, musical abilities, Lord, and for our speaker. We just ask that you will go with us this day. Um, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>